Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Jeff, and along with Brian, we are the hosts of this program. Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast and our ongoing series on Calvinism. Along with me is Jeff. Jeff, how are you doing this morning? Doing pretty well. Yeah, looking forward to the uh, next uh, next step in our uh, ongoing discussion about Calvinism. Yeah, such a terrible and damning doctrine uh, and damaging as well. And that's why, you know, we felt like it would be good to kind of go through this entire series of doctrines point by point, if you will. And so for this week, we're going to be talking about what's known as unconditional election. And to kind of help introduce that for our listeners that have had a chance to listen to the first two lessons in the series, and if you have not, please go back and listen to those. It'll help kind of set the foundation for what we're going to talk about today. But in the first lesson in this series, we learned about a man who lived in the 5th century by the name of Augustine. Augustine was a bishop in the Catholic Church, and he took the position that man is what's called totally depraved. In other words, he is incapable of doing any good and of doing anything that would contribute to his salvation. Uh, Augustine argued that you know salvation is to be found only in the power of a sovereign God and unmerited grace given by God. And uh, to you know answer this question of how some men are saved and others are not, well, he put together uh, a doctrine or a series of doctrines of election and what we call reprobation, or once again, as we talked about in our last podcast, that man is morally corrupt and totally depraved. So when you think about, you know, these doctrines, if you kind of look at the history of them and how they've made their way into almost every church today, so whether it's the Presbyterian Church, the Baptist Church, the Lutheran Church, Catholic Church, it's permeated all of these religions in some way, shape, or form. And so if you, uh, if you were to ask, well, why? Well, you'd have to go back and kind of look at what John Calvin uh, promoted. So, you know, he took these principles from Augustine and he put them into a, a body of work called Institutes of the Christian Religion and started teaching it as truth. And so, you know, as we've been seeing in these first couple of podcasts, you know, Calvinists uh, will, or, you know, Calvinism, I guess I should say, is really just a series of doctrines which do things like redefine Bible words, take a specific passage out of context, and try to build a doctrine around that one passage. Uh, They apply what's being taught inappropriately or inaccurately. Uh, They may exaggerate the meaning of a particular passage, once again, to prove their point, uh, or just in some other way, distort the Word of God. So, Jeff, in this lesson, uh, we want to take the next step, right, and consider the next in this series of false doctrines called unconditional election. Right. And as we mentioned in our previous one or two podcasts, the various tenets of Calvinism kind of logically flow. Because if you buy into the assertion that man is conceived and born with this totally sinful nature, totally depraved, unable to do anything for his salvation at all, period, that it's all up to God. Well, and by definition, it would be all up to God. And that once he chooses that that choice uh, by God, 
uh, is extended to man unconditionally, right? If it's all about God, then God's going to choose, and you know, we don't have any say-so in the matter. Hence, the concept of unconditional election. So we'll kind of tease that apart in this next segment. So Calvinism and, and prior to him, Augustine, uh, as we've noted, believes or believed, and of course Calvinists today, um, and, and honestly, Brian, you know, not just quote-unquote Calvinists, because I know there's some people that will take parts of Calvinism, but they wouldn't call themselves full-blown Calvinists. Right, yep. But at least some people who have you know, some part of Calvinistic belief, you know, believe, that, of course, that, that we're all born in sin, totally incapable of responding to God, and hence why God has to make the choice for us. So this choice or this choosing or this election uh, is because of God's uh, sovereignty, you know, totally through his grace, unconditional. And actually uh, was made, according to uh, some scriptures, before the world even began. So, you know, even we're not even on the scene yet. In long, you know, history past, in, in, you know, eternity past, God made these choices. Now, we have to understand, it's kind of tease apart these two words, you know, election. Well, that comes from uh, election, both elect and election, come from a Greek word that basically means a picking out or a choosing or, or one who is picked out or chosen, at least according to uh, a Bible dictionary by uh, Vine, you know, believers were chosen, quote unquote, before the foundation of the world or before times eternal, 2 Timothy 1, 9, uh, and this choosing or choosing process was in christ ephesians 1 4 to adoption ephesians 1 5 uh for good works uh 2 10 ephesians 2 10 uh in conformity to christ romans uh, 8 29 um and he goes on to you know a number of other things uh, to mention in that particular citation and of course within that context and with some of the related verses there are two other words that are kind of used, and that is foreknowing or foreknowledge and predestined. And honestly, both of these terms, you know, the, the concept of predestination, foreknowledge, foreordination, election, etc., you know, these are scriptural terms. But of course, we'd have to understand what their scriptural meaning is. Uh, in fact, both foreknowledge and predestination are found in Romans chapter 8, verses 29 through 30. Brian, do you want to go ahead and read that for us? Uh, yeah, sure. Here it says, For whom he did foreknow, he did or also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. All right. So we easily see that, you know, again, the concept of foreknowing, predestinating, calling, justifying, glorifying, etc., are all logically connected and that are biblical. Uh, in fact, there's another passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, that says, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election or choosing by God. 
So it's a biblical concept, but what does it really mean? So we understand that, you know, there is this foreknowledge and there is this predestining. Okay. But the real question is, how? For example, according to Calvinism, did God predetermine which individuals he would save back in eternity, past, without any conditions whatsoever? Or did God establish a process by which the kind of people God desired would choose and follow God's saving plan? And that to be saved, that all who would be saved would need to follow that plan or follow his will. Now, of course, according to Calvinism, it's the former, that God predetermined specific individuals. Uh, and and uh, to drive that point home, uh, there's a quote uh, found from Herman Hanko that says, quote, Election is, therefore, that decree of God which he eternally makes, by which, with sovereign freedom, he chooses to himself a people, upon whom he determines to set his love, whom he rescues from sin and death through Jesus Christ, unto himself with everlasting glory. Uh, the same person goes on to write, First of all, this means that in the degrees decrees of election, God chose not according to anything found in man. He did not base his choice on man in any way, not on man's goodness, works, faith, holiness, not on man's faithfulness to the gospel. There could not be found in, in, in man any good thing. It was a free choice, a sovereign choice of God. He made it without any consideration. <laughs> He made it without any consideration of man whatsoever. And so once again, within Calvinism, there's very, very heavy emphasis on God's sovereignty, on his free choice. That this election or this choice is purely up to God and his exercise of free choice. That this election is eternal, just as God's counsel is eternal. This election is unchangeable, even as God's counsel is unchangeable. In essence, this election is efficacious so that the degree of the election itself, through Christ, the power by which the elector actually saved. The election, therefore, is definite and particular, uh, particular to the individual. And faith and perseverance and faith are blessings, not our choice, but our blessings which come to us through that election. So again, it all it's all on God, but it's also on God through choosing individuals. Uh, here's another quote. Uh, the choice, therefore, is either or, in, in terms of the doctrine. We may try to deny this truth, but then we must also, allegedly, make God a helpless God, fashioned after our thoughts, dependent upon the fickle will of man, working only after man makes his choices and decisions, altering his plan according to man's whims, dependent upon man's final work. Or, they would assert, we make our choice for the truth of Scripture and maintain the truth of a great and sovereign God in heaven and earth, to whom alone belongs all praise and glory forever. Again, a very heavy emphasis on God, his grace, his glory, his sovereignty, his free will, and the fact that it's all on God, it's nothing on man, and that that choice is on particular or choices of particular individuals like you know brian 
Sorry, he didn't choose you. He chose me. He didn't choose you. Too bad. Nothing you can do. Actually, and there's nothing I can do either. That since God chose me, he's going to, you know, he's going to supernaturally, you know, work his magic, not magic, but supernaturally do his, you know, act to remove my sinful nature. And I don't have a choice in the matter either. So you don't have a choice. I don't have a choice. We're just both puppets, I guess. Yeah. And, it, you know, as you were reading through this, it just made me think, you know, they've hijacked a lot of words, you know, sovereignty, eternity, unchangeable choice, and have repurposed them to fit their doctrine. And uh, so, it, you know, it's kind of sad because ultimately, you know, I always say that within false doctrine, there are shades of the truth or, you know, terms that are truthful terms. But much like you were saying with predestination and election, they've been repurposed or abused or changed or whatever term you want to use to fit their doctrine. So I think, you know, first and foremost, and you kind of alluded to this, Jeff, that we, we don't deny God's ability to elect people. And in fact, this, this term election, as you pointed out, is an absolute valid biblical term. Uh, God did predestine and so forth, but what does that really mean? So when you think about going back to the old law, the nation of Israel was elected to by God to be his people. He, he, they were chosen, you could say, as a nation to be his own special people. What does that mean? Well, even though they were chosen as a nation, you can read through the Old Testament and clearly see that there were some that had faith in God and were obedient to God and what he asked them to do and others that did not. Also, in our first episode, we talked about this idea of proselytes. So even those who were not Israelites could choose to follow God's law and would be recognized as a child of his. And so it wasn't just limited to the Israelites, and it did not exclude all others. And so, for instance, if you look at Genesis chapter 6, I'll invite our listeners, if you have a Bible, to open it up to Genesis chapter 6, where we read about Noah and we're not going to take time to read verses 5 through 22, but I'd like to encourage our listeners to do that when you have a minute. Read all of Genesis 6, but, you know, specifically 5 through 22. So what you'll see here in Genesis chapter 6 is it talks about Noah and what kind of a man he was. And we see, we touched on this verse earlier as one of the proof texts that people who believe in the tenets of Calvinists try to use, where it says in verse 5 of Genesis 6 that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Verse 6, the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth and was grieved in his heart. Verse 7, I will destroy man whom I have created, both man and beast, and so forth, for I am sorry that I have made them. So man reached a point where, as it says, the thoughts of his hearts was only evil continually. Now, once again, if you believe in the tenets of Calvin, you might say, well, of course, because they had no choice to do evil. Well, really? Because actually there were some, according to the unconditional election principle, that were chosen to be saved. So then how, why would these be doing evil? Anyhow, verse 8 tells us Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man. So was his family. And so if you know the story of Noah and the ark, you know that only Noah and his family were saved because they were the only ones that were righteous. And you also know, just from reading other passages, that Noah preached for the entire time that he was making this ark that God wanted him to make to preserve his family and animals and so forth. But yet the people didn't repent. And so 
once again, if they're already doomed to being lost, then why would Noah bother to to, to uh, preach? Anyhow, um, if you continue reading on here, you'll see in verse 11, for instance, talks about the earth was also corrupt with before God. The earth was filled with violence. And once again, verse 12 is the key point here, though. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. So that tells you it was a decision of man to corrupt their way. So anyhow, read down through that, and what you'll say, what you'll see, I should say, as you end in verse 22, is that we see choice again. It says in verse 22, thus Noah did, and, and that means he made the ark, according to all that God commanded him, so he did. So once again, he chose to serve the Lord. The others did not. So, uh, you know, we see that in Noah. We see it with Abraham, Genesis chapter 12. Of course, God told Abraham, uh, promised Abraham that through his seed, through his lineage, the nation of the earth would be blessed. And of course, we know as we study the scriptures that Christ came through that same lineage. And that's how we were all blessed through Christ. Moses, Exodus chapter 3, if you read verses 1 through 10, of course, God called Moses to deliver the Israelites out of captivity. They had cried out to the Lord because they were slaves in Egypt and they were suffering. God heard their prayers and he sent Moses to take them out of Egypt. And then Israel as a nation, if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, of course, as we've been talking about, they were chosen as God's people. So one final passage, or actually two more here, um, that talks about this. One is in uh, Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 4. It talks about Jacob, for Jacob my servant's sake, and Israel my elect. So as we just talked about, you know, Israel was elected in the sense that they would be the nation through Jesus would come, right, the Messiah. Uh, but as you know from reading the history of Israel, uh, or if you don't, you can see it by reading the Old Testament, Israel was not faithful to God. And as a result, a large majority of people were carried off into captivity because they were unfaithful. And so, you know, ultimately Israel rejected not just God, but the Jews, you know, the descendants of those original Israelites also rejected Jesus when he did come. And so, you know, in Jeremiah chapter 3, uh, the Lord said to me, beginning in verse 6, so this is the Lord speaking to Jeremiah. Uh, the Lord said also to me in the days of Josiah the king, have you seen what backsliding Israel has done? She has gone up on every high mountain and under every green tree and there played the harlot. Uh, after that, I said, after she had done all these things, I said, return to me. But she did not return. So once again, clearly see choice here, right? That they chose not to serve God. So anyhow, as you go through the Old Testament, you'll see that there's what's referred to as the remnant. You know, that there were some who were righteous, that were saved, that were preserved, if you will, to carry on the lineage of David and ultimately Christ. Uh, but we once again see that, you know, the, the Jews were not faithful. So Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, uh, we see God saying that, you know, because the, the Jews rejected Jesus, he also brought the gospel to the Gentiles. Uh, so we'll look at Acts chapter 13, uh, beginning in verse 45. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy 
so these were the multitudes that were following Jesus. And of course, they were filled with envy because they, they didn't like the fact that they weren't following them, as in the Jews, the Pharisees, and so forth, but instead were following Christ. And so they began, it says, and contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. Uh, and so here, and, and let me clarify, I said Jesus, but ultimately these are the apostles that were sent out on uh, what we would call missionary journeys to teach, and they were teaching the truth. But once again, the Jews were filled with envy because they were following what Paul and Barnabas were teaching, but ultimately they were following Christ. Verse 46, then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. Verse 47, for so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. And then verse 48 finishes up by saying, now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as been appointed, at, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. So God brought this scheme of redemption, sometimes it's called, to not just his chosen people, the Jews, but also to the Gentiles, because the Jews largely rejected it. But overall, the intention of the gospel of Christ, the new covenant that we live under today, was, it was intended for all men. So when we talk about Jews and Gentiles, that might be a foreign term to some, but the Gentiles would just be those who were not Jews. They were everybody else in the earth. So uh, those of us that are not Jews, as in, you know, from a Jewish lineage, uh, we're, we're Gentiles, right? That's so just a basic definition there to help us understand that the gospel is for all. So once again, to finish this up, Jeff, and then we'll move on to the next section. You know, this verse 48 where it says, and as, as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed, you know, the Calvinists would try to latch on to that had been appointed. But we just read in verse 46 where Paul said, you know, it, the word of God was spoken to you, but you rejected it. That tells us they had a choice. So they weren't miraculously appointed to eternal life but they followed the system or failed to follow the system that would allow them to have eternal life if they were faithful. So anyhow, a few thoughts uh, on that area about this idea of election for God. Well, and I like the kind of balance you're bringing to it because indeed we do see God through his own sovereignty choosing certain people for certain purposes. As you mentioned you know, Noah, Abraham, Moses, etc. Uh, not for salvation per se, but because he had some kind of plan he needed, you know, man to execute, you know, take care of, uh, you know, interaction with uh, humanity, etc. Uh, and we certainly see, you know, through his sovereignty, choosing, you know, Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob, of course, Jacob's name later being changed to Israel, uh, and the, uh, the people that descended from him, uh, the nation of Israel, uh, the Jews, you know, for special blessings, right, uh, and special laws, uh, and, you know, as a people, as a nation, you know, he did deal with them, but even, even under that circumstance, um, both as a nation and as individuals, they still had free will, they still had to choose whether they would follow God or not, uh, and, you know, we see examples with various evil kings, where, you know, evil kings chose not to, uh, even though they were part of, quote-unquote, God's chosen people. And we certainly see, unfortunately, times when pretty much the whole nation 
you know, went into apostasy. You know, but the key point being is God, even in those times, when it came to, you know, righteousness, wickedness, etc., you know, he was dealing with uh, individuals. And and to your uh, point a few moments ago, you know, one thing that he, you know, foreordained was this, you know, plan of salvation or scheme of redemption that involved, you know, picking the Jewish nation as a means to bring forth his son, bring forth the the Messiah. Uh, And that because of that, now neither uh, Jew nor Greek, bond or free, male nor female, uh, as one passage says, uh, that God really doesn't make this distinction anymore between the Jewish chosen people that he chose to bring forth the Messiah uh, and the Gentiles that he did not choose at that time. But now we both can you know, obey God, choose to, again, back to choice, choose to obey him. Uh, and so I, th- I think probably one of the main points we're trying to make is that God is not picking individuals for salvation arbitrarily, but that God, you know, desires a class of individuals and has made provisions for this class through the scheme of redemption or through the plan of salvation to make the choice to obey him and experience salvation through the extremely, you know, gracious gift of his son, atoning sacrifice, uh, shedding of his blood that, you know, we could, you know, God has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. And yet he still left an element where we do exercise uh, our free will. Brian, any other thoughts before we uh, move into various uh, Calvinistic proofed texts? Yeah. And this really, as you were just mentioning, shows us God's great love for mankind. And I'm sure our listeners are familiar with John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So that is the good news, isn't it? And that God has, to your point, given us all that same opportunity, regardless if we're Jew, Gentile, or whatever, because of his great love, because of his impartiality and fairness. Uh, that's the way we all want it, right? To, that it's up to us and the choices we make versus it being predetermined. Right. So in all fairness, what we want to do in this next segment is look at some verses that Calvinists believe indeed teach the doctrine of unconditional election. And we'll kind of look at each one of those and see if if indeed it does teach unconditional election or if there's another way of reasonably looking at the passage. And we'll start off with Romans chapter 11, verses 3 through 7, which says... And I think it starts off with a quotation from the Old Testament. Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? God answering, I think it was Elijah, if I remember right. I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Then, of course, Paul writing continues on. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect, or the remnant, have obtained it, and the rest are blinded. So in many ways, we've kind of examined this passage uh, based on a lot of the other passages that we've provided. 
that indeed, you know, through the Old Testament, through the children of Israel, you know, he did craft up, if you will, you know, the scheme or the, the plan of salvation by which he chose the descendants of Israel uh, and had certain events occur so that the Messiah or Jesus, his son, you know, would come and that from that the, the church would be established. And from that, the elect, referring to the in this particular passage, uh, are those who you know were choosing from the Jewish nation to believe uh, in the Messiah, to believe in Jesus as the Christ, and the rest were uh, rejecting it. So again, we're we're coming down to kind of two classes of people: you know, those who believe and obey, and those who disbelieve and, and don't obey. Brian, any thoughts on that before we go to? The next passage? Yeah, I agree. The the what we had talked about early on really did answer that. And and you know, in a similar way, we were talking about this idea of foreknowledge and predestination. And another favorite passage uh, that those who believe in these tenets will cite is Romans chapter eight, verses twenty-eight through thirty, where it says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are who are the called according to his purpose. Verse 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, whom he called, those he justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. So once again, on the surface, if you were just to read that group of passages, you might say, okay, yeah, it does kind of sound like God foreknew and determined or predestined those who would be saved. Uh, but as we've already talked about, you know, God chose to redeem those who would follow this system of salvation that he predetermined would be set up to conform to the image of Christ. So if you think about Jesus coming to this earth, John chapter 1 tells us he was the living word. So God sends his son, as we just read in John 3.16, because he loved the world, not only for his son to be a sacrifice for sin, but his son to be the living truth. So when Jesus was on this earth, you could say he was the truth personified, right? He was the truth in person. And he proved that man could keep God's laws without being sinful because Jesus had no sin. But then also he showed that through this new covenant, which would be brought about by his death on the cross through his shed blood, that anyone that was willing to follow this plan of salvation that God put together could be restored to God, because as we read earlier in Isaiah chapter 59, our sin separates us from God. So now through Christ and through our obedience to this plan of salvation or the scheme of redemption we talked about, God predetermined that it would be through that method that we could be restored to him and be considered his children and ultimately Abraham's seed. So anyhow, uh, that's how you know, we really should think about this Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. Right. Well, and in each of these ones, I think we've noted that, again, the concept of foreknowledge and predestination and calling and election are, are biblical concepts. Uh, the question is, wherever they're mentioned, are they referring to God choosing individuals or God choosing the plan or the class of individuals? 
uh, or the class of individuals that would respond to the plan that, that he wanted. Um, and as we've seen with proper harmonization with other scriptures, uh, that it's not arbitrarily choosing individuals. It's more choosing the, the class of people that he would want to have, you know, spending eternity with him, and those that would be willing to obey the plan he set forth. In, in shorthand, some people have heard it, you know, is it the man or the plan? Uh, you know, individual choice, individual men that are being chosen, or God choosing the plan? Um, and I think as we're, we're trying to show in these passages where it could go either way, it's to be consistent, it would be the plan, God choosing the, uh, the plan. Uh, which kind of leads us on to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2, which is sometimes cited as another proof text uh, by a Calvinist, which says, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Uh, skipping on down to about verse uh, 3, remembering uh, your uh, worth of faith, labor of love, etc. Uh, knowing, uh, beloved brethren, your election by God. Verse 4. And again, are we talking about individuals being chosen arbitrarily? Or we taught, or in this particular passage, is Paul thankful that they had the ability and the desire, you know, to take part, uh, to conform themselves, you know, to that plan, to that scheme of redemption that God had ordained from before the foundation of the world? And of course, we would assert it would be the latter, again, to be consistent with other scriptures, which again, Brian, is an important little hermeneutical or Bible interpretation technique. You know, you want to take all the verses that the Bible uh, uses on a certain topic and bring them all together into a harmonious whole. Uh, I'm reminded of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13, 14, just a little bit later on in the 2 Thessalonian letter. Where Paul something, where Paul through the Holy Spirit says something very similar. And we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which He called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here again, you know, are people chosen? Yes. How? How are they? How are they chosen? How are they called? Etc. Well, in this particular passage, it shows that God is calling men through the gospel, and that their salvation is conditional on their free will, their choice, whether they choose to accept that gospel, and that when they do choose, when they do believe, when they do obey, that they're indeed sanctified or set apart, you know, by the Spirit. So again, uh, more verses that say, hey, on the surface, they appear to support, you know, unconditional election or God's sovereign, unconditional choice of individuals. But it's just as easy and more harmonious with other passages to view it as them individuals choosing to obey the plan that God had foreordained. Brian, back over to you. Yeah, another proof text that uh, those who believe in these tenets will cite is Philippians chapter 1 and verse 29, where it says, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. So they focus on this, it has been granted. Well, how did God grant them? Well, it was through the gospel, as we've been touching on. And if you look at 
you know, Acts chapter 16, where it, it talks about the contact that Paul had with those brethren at Philippi, uh, we see that it was through the gospel that they were affected. So, for instance, if you read through Acts chapter 16, what you'll notice as you get near the bottom of the chapter, you know, Paul was put in prison uh, when, you know, God sent him basically in a miraculous way, created an earthquake that opened the doors so that they could leave. Uh, you know, even their chains were loosed and so forth. And and so there was a man there that is known, you know, just in general as the Philippian jailer, who, you know, knew that if these prisoners escaped, he would be put to death. I mean, as a guard, it's your job to make sure they don't escape. And and so, you know, he was worried about that. And in verse 27 of Acts chapter 16 says he was about to kill himself because once again, he already knew that if, if they escaped, he would be killed. So he thought, well, I'll just kill myself. Well, Paul says in verse 28, do yourself no harm for we are all here. And it says in verse 29, then he called for a light. He ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he asked them the question in verse 30 saying, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Verse 31, so they said, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved in your household. But notice it goes beyond that. He wasn't saved at that point. How do we know that? Well, because verse 32 says, Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. Verse 33, And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and, his, he and his, all his family were baptized. So based on that word that Paul told them, which included believing on Christ, it also included repenting, and that's why it talks about he washed their stripes because, oh, by the way, they had beaten Paul when they shouldn't have. So you could say, well, they repented, they washed those stripes. I'm sure he apologized to Paul. And anyhow, ultimately they were baptized. So they followed that plan of salvation that we were talking about. So anyhow, just to go back to the original point, how were they granted? Well, through the gospel is how they were granted that opportunity. Good point, uh, which leads us to the next text offered by Calvinists in uh, John chapter 6, verses 28 and 29. And this is a Jewish audience uh, talking to Christ. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent, aka, you know, Jesus himself. Now, what the Calvinists may do with this particular passage is say, aha, see here, belief or faith is, quote-unquote, the work of God, meaning that God is going to do the work, meaning God is going to give you the faith or enable you to have faith or belief. Again, if you're conceived and born totally depraved, you know, you can't even believe on your own. You can't even have faith on your own. Even that has to be you know, a miraculous kind of change wrought by God on you to change your sinful nature. But if you notice, even in this passage, you know, the people are asking, you know, what could they do? And what does Jesus basically respond with? You need to believe in me. You know, it was a choice. They had a choice whether to believe Jesus or not. And that's what God wanted them to do. That was that was the work they wanted to do. That was the work which God had chosen, preordained, predefined, for them to do. Not that faith is a miraculous work of God wrought upon the sinful nature, 
uh, again, which would put it at odds with other passages that talk about man's free will. Brian? Yeah, two more, and then we'll move along. This next one comes from Acts chapter 13 and verse 48, where it says, Now when the Gentiles heard this, speaking of the truth, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. So, you know, the Calvinists, of course, here would say that God's appointing the people or man to believe. Our, as we've been saying all along, and as we've shown through the scriptures, you know, God set the stage for them to hear the gospel. Now it was up to them to accept it by faith. And so as many are, were in this class of people, you know, and that would be those who were obedient to God's will, those who would hear, those who would believe, well, they were given the opportunity for eternal life. How was that? Well, because to understand the opportunity for eternal life, to understand what was required, they had to hear the word. They had to get that instruction. And so that's what allowed them and gave them that opportunity. And finally, with Ephesians chapter 1, verses 2 through 6, with the way the Holy Spirit through Paul, you know, starts Ephesians, similar to the way he started some of the other letters, you know, commending them to the, you know, grace of, of God, etc., and talking about, you know, choosing and predestinating thing, uh, people. Uh, so, again, similarly, Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Verse 4, just as he chose, there's our key term, chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Verse 5, having predestined, there we go, us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, the praise and glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. So, I mean, once again, certainly we have the truth about God's, you know, scheme of redemption, truth about his choice of whom to save from the world, save from sin, save from sin and death, you know, is most definitely based on his sovereign will, but not in the way that the Calvinist teaches. Meaning, you know, that God didn't choose to save individuals as much as he chose to save a class of people. But even that was out of his love and mercy. So that he decided to save those that basically wanted to be saved, those who would believe and obey his will based on their own free will. Now, God didn't ordain each individual that would be saved unconditionally. But again, like the point we've been trying to make, he foreordained and predestined the class or the kind of people who would be saved, who want that he wanted to, the class of people that he wanted to save, who would be saved, who would be, you know, obedient. And again, not as mindless robots that God, in his wisdom, chose in advance. Well, these robots, you know, all robots are going to be defective. These robots I'm going to miraculously fix when I'm ready to fix them. No, we're, we're not defective robots, just blindly being sinful all the time. Uh, with God arbitrarily, you know, picking a few of us individually to fix. Uh, no, we are born, as we've been saying, uh, conceived and born uh, without sin. We choose to sin. And just as we choose to sin, we choose to believe and obey and come back to God. Brian, any other thoughts before we transition to the next section? 
Uh, no, I think we're ready now to talk about the fact that the Bible absolutely has and spells out conditions of salvation. And so, you know, what we want to do, let's just take a look at a few of these passages. For instance, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, here it says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God, so this is Paul talking to the church at Thessalonica. He says, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So if we allow the, the gospel to God's word to work in us, well, it will effectively do what God wants it to do. Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So we see active, you know, active people seeking God, believing in God, you know, and then as it says, diligently, so with purpose, seeking after God. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as come some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So this is a very key passage that A, talks about it would be, frankly, reprehensible for us to think that God would want some to perish. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance, which then tells us, it's on us, if you will, to decide to repent of our sins and to seek God. And so uh, we move on now to Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. In other words, he doesn't show favor over uh, one person over another. Verse 34 or 35, But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. So we clearly see that that's on us once again. Um, and so, you know, when you think about this fearing, you know, respecting, have reverence and awe for God and being willing to respond and work and do what he wants, well, that's really a prerequisite to accepting him. And so, you know, this passage, as it says, clearly shows he's not partial. He shows no favoritism towards anyone. And if you pair that with the previous passage in 2 Peter 3, 9, he wants all to come to repentance. A couple more passages. Revelation twenty two seventeen, The Spirit and the bride say, Come, let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. Romans 10, 10, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made into salvation. And then Mark 16, 16, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. And then the opposite true is true, it says, but he who does not believe will be condemned. So these are all pretty straightforward conditions that we must meet. And, and we can see, you were talking about harmonization earlier, Jeff, we can see how these passages harmonize with one another and make it clear that God's given us the plan, he's given us the wherewithal to understand it, then it becomes you know, on us, if you will, to do our part. Right. And admittedly, in the grand scheme of things, our part is very minor. It's in the noise. You know, when you look at everything God has done, you know, through the creation, through Noah, through Moses, Abraham, nation of Israel, bring forth the Messiah, his son, Jesus' atoning death on the cross, 
you know, that eclipses anything, you know, that we could do. But yet there is still something that we can do or should do, right? So that kind of brings us to the next uh, relatively short section that if we go back into some verses in the Bible um, and look at them and take these two views, you know, the Calvinist view of God's unconditionally selecting individuals as opposed to unconditionally selecting the plan uh, and do some word substitution, we can use that to further illustrate uh, the errors of Calvinism. For example, if you go into Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9, Uh, that talks about having been perfected, referring to Jesus, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Well, no. Calvinists would have that read, uh, that Jesus became the author of eternal salvation to all who are the elect. In fact, one of the subsequent podcasts, Brian, I think we'll get into, is the limited atonement, the L part of the tulip, that said, you know, Jesus did not die for the whole world that he died only for the elect. And we'll get into more uh, in our uh, next podcast on that one, I believe. Uh, Similarly, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, uh, Jesus speaking. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Well, I guess you'd have to rewrite that to be, come to me, all you who are unconditionally elected, and I will give you rest. But only you rest, not anyone who's laboring and are heavy laden. Uh, Likewise, Romans chapter 10, verses 11 through 13. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever is of the elect calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, it doesn't say that. You know, it says whosoever. Um... Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Uh, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, passage goes on to say, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Basically, a number of different commands of things you need to do. Well, no, we'd have to rewrite that. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, God will do it all for you. And you can disregard the rest of these verses because you really don't need to put on anything. If God's chosen you, you're set. You're good to go. You've had your ticket punched. Don't need to worry about all of those things. Uh, So again, a number of different verses that if you kind of look through the two different lenses, you can pretty easily see that, you know, God not only has set up the plan, that he wants man to obey. He desires man to obey. You know, God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to knowledge of the truth and obey it. Some will. Some won't. And even those that will, it's not a once and done thing. It's an ongoing kind of uh, expression of our faith through our obedience. Brian, I'll toss it back at you. Yeah, so, you know, ultimately you could say that, you know, Christianity is a faith-based system, right? Its, Its foundation is on faith because if you don't believe, then there's really nothing else to do. I mean, there nothing else matters, I guess I would say. And so, for instance, if, if uh, our listeners want to turn over in their Bibles to Romans chapter 11, what's interesting here is it talks about the importance of faith and the result of unbelief or lack of faith. So Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse 19, you will say then, 
Branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief they were broken off, and you stand in faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, and he's talking about his chosen people, the Jews. So in essence, what Paul's saying here is if God did not spare his own chosen people, he goes on to say, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell, in other words, those who chose to sin, severity. But toward you, goodness, he says, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, he goes on to say, you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. So in other words, if we choose to sin, then God will cut us off. But if we're willing to repent, as we saw in passages like 1 John 1, 9, where it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us, well, God will take us back. And so, you know, once again, this is a great example of how faith and obedience go hand in hand and how they're so very important. And ultimately, that's what will allow us to be saved, not God choosing in advance. The other thing that the Bible makes very clear is that the gospel, and specifically the preaching of the gospel, can and does turn men from sin. So if we look at Acts chapter 26, beginning in verse 14, Paul's talking about his own turning, his own conversion. You know, he was a man when he was known as Saul of Tarsus that openly persecuted the church. He stood by as Christians were put to death and gave his consent. I mean, we're talking about an evil man, but God knew his heart, and God knew that once he was exposed to the truth, he would become a great servant. And if you know, as not only did that happen, he became the Apostle Paul, who wrote almost, you know, I'd say probably two-thirds of the epistles and the letters and so forth that we have in the New Testament. So Paul's just a wonderful example. And in fact, if you look in Acts chapter 26, you know, Paul's sort of recounting this story and here he was told by Jesus in verse 17, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. Notice what he says in verse 18, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So Jesus really spells it out here. Right? The purpose of the gospel is to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. They can receive forgiveness of sins. They can get that inheritance of eternal life if they have faith and, of course, are obedient. So, Jeff, if you think about it, this is really powerful because, you know, this doctrine of unconditional election that we've been talking about, you know, the, those that believe in these tenets would basically say evangelism is pointless. Why even bother? Because, you know, you're going to be preaching to some people who will never, ever, in fact, can't listen, obey, and believe the gospel because they're reprobate or they are depraved. Uh, right. Anyhow. Yeah, yeah, good points. Uh, so I think that probably takes us to the next segment with uh, questions from our listeners. Yeah, so we have a, a question here from Peggy. And Peggy says, I have a very knowledgeable Christian friend who tells me people are born sheep or goats. She insists nothing can be done to change their destiny. 
when asked about someone who perhaps uh, who perhaps was a murderer, etc., uh, who or somebody you know who changes, repents, uh, accepts Jesus as Lord and Savior, she said that's because they were actually born a sheep. I totally disagree, she says, and have used free will, God's desire to accept all Christ, etc. I hope you can give me convincing evidence. Yeah, it's it's an interesting uh, perspective, if you will. Now, the reference to sheep and goats, uh, if our listeners don't realize, that's probably a reference to Matthew 25, verse 31, uh, or beginning with verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. Of course, this is referring to Judgment Day. And he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. Now, if you go on down in that passage to roughly verse 41, he continues by saying, having addressed the sheep, now he addresses the goats. Starting with verse 41, then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. So that's where kind of the concept of, you know, sheep and goats come from. Now, it's interesting that this sheep and goats, uh, quote-unquote, from birth, is not according to Calvinism per se. That would say, you know, all are conceived and born in sin, totally depraved. Now, it may be that this person is in some ways trying to express the concept of unconditional election or this predestination that God has arbitrarily chosen some people to be sheep and some people to be goats. And you will see that at some point in their life that even though they may be evil, that when God is ready, he will personally call them and their true uh, their, their inherited sinful nature will be washed away, and they'll be revealed as one of God's chosen, predestined people. In essence, kind of being a sheep, so to speak, uh, at that point. Uh, now, so it's, it's not quite according to Calvinism, uh, because you aren't really born a sheep, and then somehow you're revealed as a sheep. Uh, but it's also not really according to the scriptures. You know, as Brian, you've already noted on today's podcast, you know, we've said over and over again, you see all these different passages that talk about the need of us to exercise our free will to have that faith or to have that belief in God that subsequently prompts obedience. You know, Hebrews eleven six: for without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God comes to God, not who God draws to him, must believe that he is and that he is a reward of those who diligently seek him again up to the individual uh acts 10 34 35 then peter opened his mouth and said of the truth i perceive that god shows no partiality well not according to calvinism in truth i perceive that god shows no partiality but in every nation whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him uh, romans 10 10 for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation and i think one of the passages you might have touched on earlier mark 16 16 he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Again, coming down to each person choosing whether to be a sheep 
or a goat. Now, just as a quick little side comment, you know, for this quote, quote, knowledgeable Christian friend who tells me, you know, people are either born, you know, sheep or goats, sheep or goats. It makes me wonder that this, whether or not this alleged Christian views them as a sheep or a goat. You know, it, obviously, if they viewed themselves as a goat, they'd be lost. Why, why be a Christian? So, you know, you would think logically, well, they must be a sheep. Well, how do you know you're a sheep? Hmm. I, I, I don't have, I don't really have a good answer for that one. Because if a, a sinful murderer, who we would think would be a goat, suddenly repents and becomes something that looks like a sheep, you know, we've seen the opposite occur. You know, people who act like sheep, you know, go back into the world and become goats. Well, were they sheep or were they not sheep? Well, they were sheep for a period of time, thought they were sheep, but fell away. And again, that's, that's another tenet of Calvinism we'll get into, you know, a couple broadcasts away. You know, the perseverance of the saints. Anyways, I always thought that was kind of an interesting side comment. Bottom line is you're a sheep or a goat depending on how you act. Even in, uh, you know, Matthew 25, you know, he divides the sheep from the goats based on what they had done. You know, not on their inherent nature and, more to the point, who God had arbitrarily chosen. Back to you, Brian. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It It is confusing, right? And, I, you know, I think that's the key part of this question or, you know, one of the key parts as far as, you know, somebody thinking they're a goat, but, oh, I guess I'm a sheep because I've accepted the truth or somebody else drawing that conclusion. You know, I mean, listen, the Bible talks about God not being an author of confusion. That would be very confusing to not know what you are. Uh, and I guess, Jeff, our next question you know, takes it a step further in, in the insinuation that, you know, some may actually not find out till the judgment day whether they were sheeps or goats, right? Yeah, good point. Um, so Yolanda wrote in and she asks, did we choose God as our own free will or did he choose us? Also, if we've accepted Christ and been forgiven of our sins, why do we still have to stand before the Lord for judgment? My brother believes that at judgment, we could be told that we are not of the chosen, even after accepting, even after we accept Jesus as our Savior and chose to follow God's word. Yeah, that just uh, it's confusing again, right? It would be, can you imagine, you know, Lord, I've done my best and I've really tried to follow your will. And it's like, well, but you don't understand. You weren't you one never of were. <laughs> Yeah, you were always a goat. <laughs> you didn't realize it. Oh, that's just horrible. And and that would make God a partial God, right? And that, that's the sad part about this. Is that's what's really being said. And and so, you know, as we've been talking about throughout this podcast and really throughout most that we cover when it comes to this idea of free moral agency, you know, that's just saying we decide on our own how we will live, right? And you referenced Joshua 24, Jeff, about choosing whom we will serve. So, you know, we'll be forgiven of our sins if we are willing to repent of our sins and be baptized. And we see that, and, you know, as we touched on Mark 16, 16, right? He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Acts 2, 38, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, this was, you know, Ananias telling Saul of Tarsus at the time to arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And then we even see like in 1 Peter 3.21, there is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. So 
you know, initially all of us are saved by being baptized. Now, you know, one of the parts of the question from Yolanda was, you know, if we've accepted Christ and been forgiven of our sins, as we, as we just talked about through baptism, why do we still have to stand before the Lord for judgment? Well, it's a good question, and it's the reason why is because, you know, passages like 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10 say that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that we may receive the things done in the body according to what you've done, whether good or bad. So even after we're baptized, if we sin, as we were touching on a little bit earlier, we have to repent of that sin, as we're told in 1 John 1, 9, because if we don't confess those sins, then we can be lost again. So, you know, this one of the false beliefs that's wrapped up in Calvinism is this idea of once saved, always saved, and that is, hey, you know, once you've been baptized, you're saved, nothing you can do to be lost. Well, when we get to perseverance of the saints, as we'll see, there are many passages that talk about, yes, we can, in fact, be lost. Um, and then we're also, you know, taught that God is just, as we've been saying as well, and that he will justly reward those who are faithful and justly punish those who are unfaithful. And so, you know, I want to encourage our listeners to take a look at Romans chapter 2, where in verse 5, we're ta- it talks about the righteous judgment of God and the righteousness of God overall. And then if you read down through 6 through 11, it you know, not only talks about this righteous judgment of God, but it says in verse 6, he will render to each one according to his deeds. In other words, like 2 Corinthians 5.10, right? Based on what we have done. And it goes on to say, verse 7, eternal life, you know, for those that do God's will. Uh, verse 8, unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath to those who do not obey the word, uh, obey the truth, it says there. Um so anyhow, it just basically leads to verse 11, which says there is no partiality with God. So yes, it would be very terrible to get to the day of judgment and be told that, well, you, you weren't chosen to be saved. The reality is the Bible teaches us enough about our salvation that while we may not be able to say as we near death that, you know, I will absolutely be saved, but we can be pretty confident that if we've done what God has asked us to do, that we have that chance of salvation and we can be confident that we're righteous uh, and that it's not based on some arbitrary choice God made before the foundation of the world. No, good point. Well, and, you know, back to, you know, Yolanda's question there. There is, and, you know, some of the scriptures do talk about, you know, God choosing. And in a way, God does choose us. But more, as we've tried to point out, in the sense of God chooses, wants to choose, you know, those are humble you know, those are penitent, those who have a love for truth, those who have a love for God, those who put God first, those who you will, you know, love God with, you know, heart, soul, mind, spirit, strength, etc., uh, who will humbly submit in obedience. And, you know, those, those, are, those are the terms and conditions that, that he wants to choose. And then the other part of Yolanda's questions, it is up to us, you know, to make that choice. You know, do we want to comply with that or not? And, you know, God will let us make the choice and God will allow us to, you know, go one way or the other. But in the end, he will hold us accountable for our choices. And, and he does that with everyone. As you, as you tried to summarize, Brian, you know, there is no partiality with God. That those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for these things from God. That's verse 7 of... Uh, uh, Romans 2, 
But those, the other class who's self-seeking, do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. Well, what's the result? Indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil. Jew first, also the Greek. But conversely, glory, honor, and patience, or glory, honor, and peace. To everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And again, even though it's got the word work in there, you know, it's not a work of merit, of something that we can say, hey, God, we did all this wonderful work, therefore you owe us salvation. Well, no. You know, we have all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. And it is through his grace, through his son, in, in the grand scheme of things, that has, you know, uh, enabled us to be saved. And, and the, the small, relatively small part that we do for a relatively small amount of time uh, certainly fades by comparison, but it does exist. Brian, any other uh, thoughts before we wrap this up and point listeners to our website? Uh, no, I think that does it for me. And to your point, like uh, everything, uh, every other subject, I guess I should say, there's a good chance there's more material on the site. And in this case, we have more material, don't we, Jeff, including uh, some that talk more about God's choices. Exactly. So at our website, uh, if you go and look under the topics menu item, now that would be if you have a, a browser and on our homepage, you know, across the top, you can see topics as being a menu item uh, along the top. If you're on a mobile device, it'll be under something that looks like three horizontal bars. Uh, if you click on that, and you should be, uh, get a, a pull down normally. Uh, topics under P for predestination, which is sort of the, the core of, of what we've been talking about today. Uh, that section also includes, I might mention, a five article series on God's choices which certainly is fundamental to today's discussion about unconditional election. Uh, likewise, under a different topic, in for nature of man, which is a little bit broader, and again, referring more to you know, the nature of man, whether or not he is you know, original sin, born in sin, you know, created sinful, etc., uh, as well as a little bit broader than that, C for Calvinism. So as always, we would certainly encourage our listeners to go to the website, look at the articles, more importantly, look up the scriptures, study them, uh, and if you do uh, currently believe in some of these tenets of Calvinism, we would certainly encourage you to, you know, to dig into those scriptures and try to harmonize the whole, you know, with a view toward respecting all that God's word says on it, which, as we've been trying to portray, does say God, that God does choose, but he's choosing the class. It's up as individuals to exercise our free will to respond, which we, of course, hope our listeners will do. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website, biblequestions.org, where you can submit a Bible question to be answered. And you can also search archives where we have answered several hundred Bible questions over the years. Our website also has a host of free Bible study material, free correspondence courses, as well as sermons and a host of other material. Please stop by and check it out.